Welcome to ASME TechCast, bringing you the innovators, the innovations, and the issues that push the envelope of engineering. I'm Jeffrey Winters, Editor-in-Chief at Mechanical Engineering Magazine. Today we're talking about energy and international security with Morgan Bazillion, Director of the Payne Institute for Public Policy and Professor of Public Policy at the Colorado School of Mines. Dr. Bazillion is one of the leading energy economists in the world and recently co-authored a paper in Nature Energy, examining the role that gas exports from the United States could play in helping replace energy imported from Russia. Dr. Bazillion, welcome to the big show. Thanks for having me, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it, it, the pleasure is all mine, actually. Um, and as we know, you know, Western nations um, have imposed stiff sanctions on Russia almost immediately after that country's invasion of Ukraine in February. One of the most important pieces of leverage European nations have is their purchases of natural gas from Russia, which is the largest natural gas exporter in the world. Russia supplies some 40% of the annual gas to the EU, and the Western and Central and Western and Central Europe buys around 74% of Russia's exported gases. European leaders want to disentangle their economies from Russia's and have announced the goal of ending all gas exports from Russia by 2027. It's a monumental task on such a short timescale, and one whose success may depend upon energy imports from the United States. There's an enormous number of moving parts, so, so let's dig in. Um, Dr. Brazilian, um, first off, how did we get into the situation where Europe, Western Europe, was so dependent on Russia for energy in the first place? I mean, it's not as if the Russian government has suddenly changed its expansionist approach to, to foreign policy. Um, I mean, why, why was Europe you know, linking itself so closely to, to Russia? Well, um, for many years, uh, Russia was a, 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 a reasonable trading partner with many countries in the European Union. It uh, provides not just natural gas, but also oil and coal and um, also uranium. And uh, as one of the largest energy exporters in the world it and right next door to Europe there was uh, ample infrastructure and there was uh, reasonable pricing and 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 even uh, relatively uh, decent governance and and transparency in markets now while there were significant warnings and um, hints that uh, something like this could happen um, it was not uh, seen as a, a as a terribly likely threat, um, and even in the case that Russia did do something, um, this invasion of Ukraine uh, went beyond most of the predictions. So, for 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 many years, they were quite a good um, trading partner with Europe and had those goods that your the European countries uh, member states simply didn't have. And I suppose the, you know, from the point of view of, of, of the world and, and the world energy exporters, it, um, its foreign policy and, you know, its governance was probably not much worse than, you know, other countries that would be in the same, you know, build, have the same ability to, to export gas and oil and coal. 
That's right. And, you know, I mean, of course, historically and culturally, um, Russia has been, you know, part of uh, the the European psyche and European uh, history for, well, for many hundreds of years. And so um, not really seen as a uh, a terrible alternative given given other alternatives. Okay, okay. Um, so trying to replace all those natural gas exports would have been impossible just a few years ago. I mean, you know, the 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 amount of gas that's coming in and and the the number of alternative exporters wasn't that great. Um, that it's even an option is due to the the shale gas revolution in the United States, um, the, and that's something that you and and um, your co-authors wrote about. Um, we in the United States think about how the shale gas revolution changed the energy equation at home. But can you walk us through some of the international implications of the U.S. going from from a ravenous importer of energy to to you know an exporter? Yeah, it's 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 been a radical shift, and of course, in in the industry um, or in the wider uh, American uh, popular language, it's it's called the shale revolution, um, and and really um, is only let's say at this point 15 years old or something and, and happened extremely rapidly with the advent of uh, um, fracking and technologies improving as well as uh, horizontal drilling. The, the, the combination of those two technologies um, meant that the United States has become the largest uh, producer of oil and natural gas in the world. And so the two markets are, are very different. We're talking today mostly about natural gas. Um, the natural gas markets internationally were not fundamentally disrupted by um, U.S. Sh- uh, shale gas as quickly as, as, as oil. In other words, oil has a global, uh, deep, interconnected market. And so when the United States uh, started producing huge amounts of oil. It, you, you can start to see that impact on a global market. Natural gas markets uh, were much more regional and localized. They're becoming more global, but still not priced in a global way like oil is. Um, but it's had a massive impact, um, some of which is hard to measure. In other words, there's been there's diplomatic uh, implications for that. There are security implications for that, um, both uh, internally and ex- externally, uh, and there are pricing implications for that. Um, so we're seeing all three of those uh, effects in, in play now. And you know, ju- just as a quick po- point, you know, the the natural gas exported from the United States now fairly quickly becoming the largest or one of the largest exporters of natural gas through liquefied natural gas in the world um, is on display with the decisions by the European Union. Although the scale issue we can talk about uh, is is not going to, uh, at least in the short to medium term, displace anywhere near the amount of gas uh, that was uh, imported to the European Union from Russia. 
Well, let's let's pull on that thread then a little bit. So, I mean, one of the things that, that has been talked about is that, that you know the U.S. can start exporting more um, liquefied natural gas to to Europe, help replace that. But in, in the paper that you wrote with um, with Michael Weber and Avind Ravikumar. Um, you talked there. That was like just one piece of the puzzle. You also talked about sort of, you know, um, reducing demand and 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 um, sort of rolling out technologies like uh, like heat pumps. Is that really what's uh, and and then actually like trying to keep the uh, the the um, nuclear power plants that are operating in in Europe running? Are are those you know at the end of the day more important than than the natural gas replacement import um, imports? Well, you know, it, 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 it's hard to judge uh, which is more important, but you're correct. It, look, this takes a portfolio approach. So in 2021, Russia supplied about 150 uh, billion cubic meters of natural gas to the European Union. Um, that's 24% of their overall energy demand. So natural gas is an extremely important fuel for the European Union, and they're highly reliant, on, or they're almost entirely reliant on external partners for that. Um, the, the, the United States is, is looking at bringing, you know, a, a, about 12 billion cubic uh, feet per day of, of LNG into the European Union. That's 74, 75% of the, the, of the United States export to Europe, but still n- nowhere near the, the levels of, you know the total demand from Europe, and so in any in any country or any region, um, you have to look across the energy sector to a portfolio of both supply and demand uh, reduction options to to meet energy use, and so that that comes from everything you talked about. So that's natural gas imports coming from different places, including the United States, but also possibly North Africa possibly even sub-Saharan Africa through pipelines from uh, Australia, Qatar, et cetera. But then we also, um, and the European Union has plans for this, um, ramping up, uh, deploying renewable energy, maximizing fuel flexibility. You mentioned nuclear. There's also a temporary temporary, uh, increase of coal. And you know, most importantly, perhaps, and, and, and one that in the short term can make the, the largest difference is a, is, a, is a new focus on reducing demand and increasing energy efficiency. Now, th- that one gets a lot less airtime because politically it's not as attractive of a goal as supply. It doesn't come across as we're going to increase supply, we're going to do something about our needs. It comes across um, and it always has as, as a sort of second tier um, goal. That, that being said, it's not a second tier priority. It should be absolutely top tier. And reducing demand and increasing efe- efficiency is is great for energy security as well as, uh, as you know, the European Union has significant goals on climate change, which mm-hmm. we don't hear very much about uh, right now because they are uh, down the priority list as we focus on security. Right, right. I mean, also, I mean, in the to w- one thing that that's interesting to me is that that um, when w- the United States thought of, uh, went from being a a potential LNG importer 
Um, you know, I, I think it was like 15, 20 years ago, we were, they were interested in building a lot of um, import terminals for algae. Now they've, they've built the infrastructure for, for export. Um, there, there are a couple of, of large export, LNG export facilities in, in Louisiana and Texas. Are, is that enough? Do, will the United States need to build more in order to um, satisfy the, the internet, its, its role as a strategic exporter, not just to, to Europe, but to, to Asia and South America and other countries that, that would have demand for our natural gas? Well, look, that, that, that's, a, that's a wider decision. Um, the United States does not um, dictate uh, its, its energy um, exports or energy policy in the way that a centralized command and control government like Russia or even China would. And so it's, it's a, a tricky combination of market forces and politics. And um, so when we look at this through a diplomatic lens, um, you know, we, we had to take into consideration the motivations of companies to invest billions of dollars in long-term infrastructure at a time when at least this administration has said that they're going to make an effort to minimize um, the, the the use and export of um, oil and natural gas uh, for climate change reasons. So, you know, the, that that brings uncertainty into the investment criteria. And so the companies themselves and their investors are weighing the, the, the risks um, along with the very attractive prices they're getting for, for these commodities. And that's true across the board. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yes, um, the supply trends in the first quarter of 2022 have been great for Europe. And, and there could be quite a bit of additional um, LNG through the end of this year. And the increase on 2021 has been significant. But that does not mean um, that that trend is going to continue forever. In other words, we're, we're, we've seen a bump uh, this year with some new um, export terminals being, being uh, put in place and delivering, um, but those pieces of infrastructure are massive and costly and uh, don't come online uh, in, in, in very short timeframes. And so, you know, strategic decisions both by the government, but, but by companies are taking place right now. Um, but Europe is going <laughs> to have to um, look at all those other uh, options they have in the portfolio from demand to supply to, to, to meet their needs. Mm. Uh, I guess one other thing on, you know, we, we don't have a command economy in terms of, of building an infrastructure. And something that I, I believe you point out in, in your paper is that we don't have a sort of a diplomatically directed um, energy system either. Um, and so there's, there's a concern, I take it, that, that um, if there's demand continued demand from asia for for our natural gas and, and from from other places that that we might get a, see a bidding war and and that the 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 cost of, of natural gas is going to lng is going to go up to the point where it's even though it's available it may not be it may not be um you know usable or it may not be it may not be the answer to, that europe was looking for 
Well, um, diplomacy and security are, are, are complicated matters. Uh, you, the European Union and the United States are only two players in, in the global system, in a very interdependent and interconnected global system. Um, and the commodity of, uh, of natural gas in its liquefied form um, is subject to price. And so um, in, in a lot of the contracts, the highest bidder is going to, to win in the very short term and the ships can move towards that higher, higher price. Um, now we're seeing a lot of uh, US LNG move to Europe, as I said, uh, especially in the, the the first half of 2022, um, but certainly that means that someone else is not getting it, and either they're not getting it because they're being outbid on price, or um, because there there's been some agreements um, with some companies that you know that the member states of the European Union are the priority in the short term because of this uh, terrible war in Ukraine. Uh, in the longer term, however. Um, that also likely means some negative impacts for countries um, that are emerging or developing economies and that, that cannot afford a price war with your European Union or Japan or China. And so we need to be careful about um, how those countries get treated in this new market. And um, it, it, it you know, what happens in Japan, as an example, who's a large importer of LNG matters a great deal for where those LNG shipments go. And so, you know, the decisions of other countries um, has has big impacts on the nature of the LNG market. And so it has issues of equity, security, economics, and, and those are not dictated by one country. And those are not um, dictated by some sort of large um market regulator, but rather through the vagaries of uh, politics and diplomacy and security, et cetera. So um, those are, but they're all, all threads that we need to uh, make sure that some people are looking at as they make policy decisions. Okay. Um, one last question before I let you go. I mean, we could talk all day, but um you know, the, the United States, it, it's great that the United States can, can has the, the export capacity to step in to, to replace some of the lost um, imports from Russia that, that, that the uh, European Union is facing. But um, and, and that, you know, we've become like this potentially strategically important player in, in the gas industry. But this, this sort of thing could have a cost to the United States as well, right? I mean, not just like a financial, not a financial cost per se, but could becoming an energy exporter rather than an energy importer have an unintended impact on the American economy or national security policy? Is there a danger that we could run into problems with tackling our climate commitments because, you know, the the way that, that um, you know, the, the natural gas industry becomes even more important to, to national security. I mean, and, and, you know, just economics, there's, there's this concept of the Dutch disease where you get a, a concentrated industry that, um, that uh, that's dealing with commodities and that it sort of like eats away at, at your ability to, to, um, to, to manufacture things. I mean, are, and I probably did not describe that exactly right, but, um, 
but I mean, there, it seems like there are like all sorts of things that, you know, that could be unintended consequences to all this. Look, there, there are always unintended consequences to all uh, policy and political decisions. So we can start there. But you've, you've raised several points that we could separate a little bit. W one is on sort of the impact of, of these exports on domestic security and domestic economics. And the second is on the impact on the environment or climate change, right? So the, there are at least two. Um, if we take the first, um, you know, we live in a, in, as, as I've already said, a deeply interconnected world from a trade and economics perspective, also from a, a, a security perspective. And the export uh, the, of oil and natural gas from the United States has, has been economically um, uh, very positive for the United States. It, it has not affected our internal security, our, our internal ability to deliver the goods to the people of the United States. Um, we are shielded to a certain degree from some of these security concerns, but when you're in an interconnected market and trade, uh, you you are pro, you are going to see the impacts of of price, and so we have seen we saw some price rises in natural gas as a result uh, of the war in Ukraine. That was happening even even before um, the war, and we saw the global price of oil go up. Um, but we've seen that before as well. So I I think that overall the um, boon and natural resources in the United States from a security and economics perspective has been largely positive. Um, the environmental consequences, however, are not insignificant. Um, one of the things we point out in the paper you're referencing is that to make sure that the LNG supplies to Europe and Asia and everywhere else and the LNG um, take into consideration uh, what we call responsible gas across the supply chain. So making sure especially that the uh, methane emissions, but also the VOC emissions and water impacts of that natural gas are to the highest environmental standards in the world. And um, that, that is rapidly changing in the United States. Some states like the state of Colorado, in which I live, have, have some of the best regulations in the world on those things. Um, the climate change picture overall will impact uh, investment decisions, as I said, going forward. And so the oil and gas industry is reticent to make enormous, uh, chunky investment decisions right now, given that uh, there's deep uncertainty about the future and how the government and others will treat the oil and gas industry um, under uh, if climate change becomes a priority uh, politically. And so we that uncertainty remains. Uncertainty is always in markets and investment decisions. That's a, that's a big one for them right now. That that includes export facilities, but also things like domestic infrastructure, like refining capability that we've seen highlighted quite a bit in the news lately. Um, and I'll I'll end by saying, you know, the the priority of the United States government has not been climate change, it has not been export capacity, it has not been um, trade and, and, and the economic benefits from trade, it has largely been 
in the last three or four months on the price of gasoline for consumers at the pump. And so when you have a clear priority, the policy decisions and the investments go towards meeting that priority decision. And so what we see is a rather mixed set of messages coming from the White House, um, where we're saying we want to pump more, but we need to get prices down and we need to take care of climate change. Those three things are, are uh, difficult to all achieve. Well, probably impossible to all achieve at the same time. And so what emerges is the priority. And so that's, that's what we've seen in the last few months. That priority gasoline prices will change. It doesn't stay that way forever. Um, and, and policy priorities uh, change along with the winds of politics. But um, yeah, so as they say, interesting times, easy for academics to say interesting times, but uh, for the people in Ukraine and in and, and, and Europe, especially Eastern Europe, uh, it's very uh, difficult times and uh, violent and uh, hopefully the focus can be on ending the conflict and then we can work on our energy security situation. That's exactly right. Unfortunately, we have to leave it right there. I'd, um, I'd like to thank Morgan Bazillion of the Colorado School of Mines for his thoughtful and important discussion today. Um, and if you're out there in, in podcast land and you'd like to hear more great conversations on engineering topics, please subscribe to the ASME TechCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. For all of us at ASME, I'm Jeffrey Winters, wishing you a great rest of your day.